Find other great podcasts like this one at podmoth.network. Welcome to Bad Axe Podcast. I'm your host, Danielle Blinka. And I'm your co-host, Aaron. Bad Axe is brought to you by the Podmoth Media Network. Check out Podmoth for more great podcasts. You can support the show and get over a year's worth of bonus episodes over at patreon.com backslash badaxepod. You also get ad-free episodes that are usually early, so definitely check that out if you're interested. There is a link in our show notes and membership start at just $1. You can also support the show for free by leaving us a positive review and telling a friend about us. Now, on to today's case. Today, we are going to Cairo, Egypt in January 2016. Cairo is the capital of Egypt and home to over 10 million people. It's a bustling city along the Nile River close to the pyramids of Giza. And if you look up pictures of Cairo, it's really amazing because you can see this really bustling modern city. And in the background, you have the pyramids. That is pretty awesome. It's pretty awesome. That's epic. Egypt is one of the world's earliest known civilizations, beginning around 3100 BCE, and it's influenced cultures around the world. Fun fact, the Houston Museum of Natural Science, which is our local museum, has a King Tut exhibit opening in October, and I'm losing my mind over this. I know, I'm waiting I'm waiting with bated breath for it. I think it's going to be awesome. I know, I'm so excited, y'all. Like, I'm trying to keep it inside, because when I get excited, I talk fast, and I don't want to talk about our crime fast today. But I have been obsessed with Egypt since I was a child. So I'm super, I'm super jazzed up about this. They just did a Ramses exhibit that was absolutely fantastic. Our favorite part was learning that Ramses had a whole ass pet lion that fought alongside him. And just in case you were wondering, his pet lion was named Slayer of His Foes. I know. How awesome is that? Like, that is absolutely yes. incredible. I want a pet lion and I want to name it Slayer of My Foes. And I'm obsessed with this ancient lion. And I've envisioned all kinds of ridiculous scenarios of what I would do if I were, like, royal and had lions. You'd slay a lot of your foes, I think. Apparently. I mean, like, you'd be like, somebody crosses you, you'd be like, boom, lion. Boom, lion. I have all these delusions of, like, I'm a, like, I feel like I'm a pretty nice person and I I do want, like, fairness. And I, I don't like it when people have less. And I'm not really, like, a money person. So I'm more of, like, an experience and, like, an art person. But I feel like if I were put in a position where I was like a princess or something and I had lions, I would definitely go from like regular, really kind person to full dragon in like a few weeks. (laughs) I don't trust myself. You get corrupted by the lion? Oh, I would immediately get corrupted by the lion. I have no doubt. Back to Cairo though. Things haven't been going super smoothly lately. I need to give y'all a quick rundown of what has been going on because it's relevant to our crime this week. I realize that the opening of this show is going to have some, like, historical bits and some recent political bits, 
But trust me, it is important. In January 2011, the Arab Spring dawned on Cairo, and protesters marched against the government. The Arab Spring spread across much of the Middle East and North Africa, starting in Tunisia in 2010. During this period, citizens rebelled and protested against their government, calling for change. In many cases, these protests were described as pro-democracy. Egypt experienced its own Arab Spring protests from January 25, 2011 through February 11, 2011. This time period is commonly called the Egyptian Revolution. After this two-week revolution, then-President Hosni Mubarak officially resigned and handed power over to the Supreme Council of Armed Forces. And I have to point out right now that the Supreme Council of Armed Forces sounds like the villain of every dystopian or science fiction novel. That is very true. Yes. It really does. And I feel qualified to say that because two of my degrees include a bachelor's in political science and a master of public administration. So I feel like I I know when a governmental organization sounds scary. It sounds just super ominous. And I also want to say that at least France's Committee of Public Safety had the decency to put safety in their title before proceeding to conduct the reign of terror. It's only a kindness. That sounds way less scary than the Supreme Council of Armed Forces. That it does. Anyway, the Supreme Council of Armed Forces remained in power until 2012. In June of 2012, Egypt elected a new president named Mohamed Morsi, who was one of a number of members of the Muslim Brotherhood who took power that same year. Unfortunately, peace wasn't coming anytime soon, because Morsi decided to pass a new constitution that was heavily influenced by Islam, and he also made a presidential decree that his declarations wouldn't go under judicial review, and this would make it easier for him to pass his policies without having any checks or balances. Well, yeah, of course. There's nobody that can tell him anything. And even though he does have supporters, a lot more people were also very angry because they weren't expecting this to happen. Like, they were wanting to have more choices, and now they were getting fewer choices. And so, more protests began. And after a long time of protests, the Minister of Defense, a man named Abdel Fattah al-Sisi, led a military coup to seize the presidency. I also found it interesting that the new president was the head, like he was the minister of the defense. Right, so he's the head of the whole of the whole situation. Yeah, I would just yeah. like to point out that the Supreme Council of Armed Forces has reared its ugly head again. Yeah, funny how that works. I know. Since June 2014, President Sisi has led Egypt. While people were first excited about the coup, he pretty much immediately began rounding up people who didn't support him, and protesters started disappearing. A wave of uneasiness spread over the left-leaning populace, which brings us to the subject of our story. 28-year-old Giulio Reggiani grew up in a tiny village called Fiumicello outside of Trieste, Italy. Fiumicello is home to over 6,500 residents. It's small, but it has a lovely architecture and natural views. Giulio's father worked as a sales manager and his mother taught school. A lifetime learner, Giulio mastered five languages and turned his academic focus to world politics and government structures. Friends describe him as kind, funny, and super intelligent. He could always be counted on for a great conversation. 
He held a degree in Arabic and politics from Leeds University in England, which he earned in 2011. So, he was super interested in the Arab Spring that started in December 2010. He had a special passion and fascination with Egypt, so he made it the focus of his studies. After completing his undergraduate work, he enrolled in a master's program at Cambridge University in the UK, where he pursued development studies. For a while in 2013, he worked as an intern for the United Nations, and they placed him in Cairo, which was in turmoil at the time as protesters were working to overthrow Morsi. Yeah. So he got a firsthand experience of this, and he was actually there at the time that Morsi stepped down. And he talked about with his friends about how this was this really like positive moment. And everyone thought that this was going to have a really positive turn. And yet that's not what happened. Yeah. After returning to England to continue his studies, Julio enrolled in another postgraduate program. And in 2016, he was working towards his doctorate also from Cambridge university. As part of his doctoral studies, Julio moved back to Egypt in September 2015 to study independent trade unions in Cairo. He planned on conducting his research from September 2015 to March 2016. When he got to Egypt, he moved into an apartment with two other roommates in a neighborhood of Cairo called Daki. He also registered as a student with the local American University even though he was also enrolled at Cambridge. Basically, he was doing kind of like a semester abroad, and so he was studying with them while he was in Egypt. His time living in Egypt wouldn't be easy, and he knew that going there. At the time, the political climate had become quite in turmoil, and he knew that he might not even get to finish his research. Because of the crackdown on protest and on any kind of progressive leaning people and the fact that he had been there and had associations with these progressive policies he knew that it was possible that he might be rounded up and deported but he wasn't that worried about any kind of danger he had talked to his friends and like his supervisors and stuff and told them that he thought that since he had an english passport at that time that he should be safe from any kind of like persecution yeah, that, I mean, I can understand why you'd feel like that, but I think that's going to backfire on him. At the time, trade unions were popping up around the country, and you could find one for practically anything. Julio believed that trade unions would be the tool for political and social change. And when I say anything, like, one of the, the ones that he would focus on was street vendors. But, like, there was one that they mentioned in one of the newspaper articles that I was reading about Julio that was literally, like, theater attendants had their own trade union. Wow, that is pretty crazy. Yeah, pretty much every single career that you could imagine, or job, or occupation, however you want to define it, had its own trade union. That's awesome. So he wanted to focus on the the street vendors because there were a lot of them and also they were a compelling group because most of the street vendors were impoverished men from small villages who had moved to bigger cities in hopes of getting a better life. 
And what they would do is they would be peddling wares on corners or in roadsides. Or as some of the markets looked like, there would literally be like the whole street itself. Like in between buildings would just be covered with street vendors. Wow. Yeah. It's kind of weird looking. Like it actually looks like the road itself is covered. But I'm assuming this is not a regular road that people are using. Because some of the, the street vendors had literally had set up tents and things like that. It looks like an outdoor market more so than like someone who's just on the side of the road and there's a lot of them yeah so they would peddle their wares there and try to earn a living in 2016 there were about six million street vendors and they had formed this union to help them survive against the repression being a street vendor was hard because the government was actually cracking down on them a lot and part of this is because they were kind of trying to create this false narrative that they didn't have vendors in certain places and there as an example there was a story that i read about like a particular area where the president was and they essentially raided all the street vendors so that no one would see that they were street vendors in the city yeah. it's almost like like what they've done in houston with like some of the homeless people or like other places right like yeah you know, kind of like make it where they're not seen and then like they can pretend like they don't exist that sort of thing just kind of move it from place to place in a way yeah so that is what was happening so during some of these raids julio actually happened to be there because he was talking to these vendors all the time like he was working alongside them in some cases as he was doing his study and so he was actually like helping them move stuff and he was just kind of like you know interacting with people and trying to be helpful as much as he could and it was clear that he really cared about what they were trying to do while the street vendors were happy to meet with him they also wanted things in return because they saw julio as this international man who had come to egypt and he must just be wealthy he must have money he must have some kind of success and he should be able to help them but that wasn't actually true because julio had to work really hard to even be able to afford his studies. And he had been in college, you know, most of his life, essentially like he's in his twenties, but he has been studying for years. Like that's his main thing. Like he has worked too, but most of his money is going towards essentially paying for his studies and paying for his, you know, travel to these places where he is doing his field work and also paying for his, his just being alive. Like he doesn't have parents who were, you know, just paying for his entire lifestyle. Like they obviously were doing the best they could to support him, but like he still had to really work hard to just kind of make ends meet. Yeah, totally. And so he didn't have a lot of money to spare and he explained this to people, but they were having trouble understanding that he could not afford to give them money. Or in some cases they would ask for cell phones and stuff. And it's like, they had trouble understanding that he didn't have this. And it continued to happen to him. Unfortunately, these vendors eventually started to think of him as being stingy. And as it turns out, one of them was actually pretty spiteful. This brings us to the head of the street vendor trade union, who was a man named Mohammed Abdallah. He wanted Julio's help in applying for a British grant. Now, it's unclear exactly if he wanted the grant or if this was always a setup. But... He asked Julio about getting the grant. And at first, it seems like Julio was probably going to help him apply for it. But he immediately started asking if it was usable for different things that that was not applicable. And so Julio's like, no, you can't use it for these things. And then 
it got a little more egregious because the trade union guy wanted to use money from the grant or from Julio to pay medical bills. Right, which is a misuse of those funds. Yeah, and so Julio got really upset about this entire conversation and told him no and was just basically like, he was very upset that this conversation even happened. Yeah, of course. And Abdallah did not appreciate his response. And as it turns out, he had also gotten this entire conversation on tape. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah, which is part of what makes me think that it might have been a setup. But it's been reported a little bit differently in different places as this has come out. And so in some situations, it's more emphasized that he wanted the money for the medical bills. And that's why he was mad. But it also sounds like he may have just been trying to set up Julio. And we'll find out why in a minute. With this taped conversation, Abdallah actually went to the police and turned it over and accused Julio of being a spy. Holy shit. Yeah. That escalated faster than I thought it was going to. It really did. Now, as as all of this was happening, things started to feel really weird for Julio in January 2016. Because he was attending a lot of these trade union events and also talking to union activists. And on one occasion, he was at a meeting for the union activists and he noticed a woman wearing a veil take a photo of him on, on the cell phone. Oh, wow. Yeah. And he thought that she might be documenting his presence at the meeting. And he worried at that point that the government had started to watch him. Then... On January 25th, 2016, Julio disappeared. Oh, no. You might notice this from the beginning of the episode, but January 25th, 2016 wasn't just any normal day in Cairo. It was the fifth anniversary of the Arab Spring protest there, and the current government put the entire city on lockdown so that protesters couldn't go out and complain about the current regime. Oh, damn. And for weeks, they'd actually been rounding up anyone that they thought might protest. So it had gotten kind of dangerous for anyone who was progressive. The only people out and about that day were pro-government protesters. And they would literally bust them in as needed to get photo ops. So essentially, the government was driving around big bus loads of people with signs that are like, Yay! You're the best government ever! And then unloading them in front of landmarks that you would see and know where that city is and then photographing the protesters being like woohoo yay thank you for being a great government right yeah and everyone else was at home essentially hoping that they were going to be safe that day however the day's events quieted down that night and people started going out into the city julio wanted to attend a friend's birthday party that was planned for that night And so he texted his friends that he would be going out. But instead of going to the birthday party, he vanished. Julio remained missing for about a week. Then, on February 3rd, 2016, a bus driver found Julio's mutilated body in a ditch along the road leading to Alexandria, Egypt. He was naked from the waist down and covered in blood. His body showed signs of punching, kicking, cutting, and burning. 
That's so awful. Yeah, but it's, it's actually even more awful than it sounds because it's not just something that happened really fast. Oh, God. Yeah. Authorities asked his mother, Paula, to identify his body, and he was so disfigured that she almost didn't recognize him. Oh, that's so sad. And when I say almost didn't recognize him, she pretty much didn't because later she explained that she had identified him based on the tip of his nose. Holy crap. Yeah. And we're going to get a little bit more into that in a second. I just wanted to say that after she learned of her son's death, his mom, Paula, said, quote, it's all over. The happiness of our family was so short, unquote. That's so sad. That's like one of the most saddest comments that I've read from a family member because I just feel like it makes me think of like a really sad poem. The happiness of our family was so short. It's just really encapsulates just the despair. Yeah, it's haunting. Yeah. It's a haunting statement. Just the idea of like it's over with forever and that and just that thought of like, you know, you don't know what you have until it's gone. And then you're sitting here like, that was, it was such a short. Yeah. Such a small amount of happiness. Based on the investigation into his murder, this is what happened. Julio had been beaten, both physically and with sticks. He'd also been kicked. And all of this abuse slash torture had shattered the bones in his shoulders, wrists, and feet. Oh my god, that's so awful. Like that's man, that's that's really bad. Yeah. And part of this is because as part of the torture, he was struck on the bottoms of his feet. Ooh. Yeah. That's how they got broken. Damn. His attackers also burned him using red hot metal and cigarettes, and he had burn marks all over his body. They broke out his teeth. They stabbed him and they cut off his right earlobe for some reason. And finally, they struck him from behind with a heavy object, and that strike broke his neck. It's unclear if they were intending to break his neck or if this was an oopsie. Based on his post-mortem exam, the torture stretched out over four days. Holy crap. Yeah. That's insane. That's, that is banana pants. It's really bad. Like, that's, that's straight up just torture torture like, yeah that's, that's and then really when they were finished torturing him they dumped him in that ditch half naked and covered in blood damn yeah that's grisly it's very grisly it's terrible especially considering the context of what's happening in this situation so after his body was found because he's from italy the italian government quickly became involved in the search for justice And I have to say that Italy as a country was mad, which makes sense. I would be level 10 mad, too. Hell yeah. I mean, I was level 10 mad, and I just learned about this. Yeah. But they they were really like, this must be fixed. And so they, the Italian government immediately got involved. However, the Egyptian government was less than helpful. According to Italian officials... Egyptian authorities focused on finding an easy explanation for Julio's torture murder that would have made the case easy to close. They offered explanations like, quote, a drug deal gone bad, unquote, or, quote, a botched robbery, unquote. 
At one point, the authorities even tried to sell the story that Giulio's murder may have been a gay crime of passion. Oh, good Lord. And they partially tried to say it was because he didn't have pants on. Oh, come on. Yeah. And also, at one point, one of his friends talks about how the police were questioning him. And Giulio actually had a girlfriend. She didn't live in Egypt. She kind of, she had been visiting Egypt and they had known each other from before. And they like reconnected while she was there. She was working. And when she went home, they stayed like in touch and were dating. But there, she's like really focused on his studies. So it was, it was very convenient to have this long distance girlfriend. And his friends were like, no, like he literally has a girlfriend. And the friend keep, said that the police kept trying to correct him. And they were like, well, he could be bisexual. And they're like, we're telling you that our friend wasn't murdered as a gay crime. Yeah, legit. Like, are you not listening? And also, when have you ever heard of this particular incident happening yeah. as, a, as a crime of passion? Legit. That's not what that is. Yeah, I don't think you torture people over four days as a crime of passion. No, that's literally the opposite of a crime of passion. Yeah, legit. And so you might be wondering, why would they be so eager to brush this horrible crime under the rug? Because you wouldn't want this type of criminal out in the community, right? Unless you were involved in it. Ding, ding, ding. (laughs) The Italian officials have a simple explanation for this. Because based on their investigation, the men who kidnapped, tortured, and murdered Giulio all belonged to the Egyptian National Security Agency. Italian officials identified four suspects. General Tariq Sabir, Colonel Usham Helmi, Colonel Attar Kamel Mohammed Ibrahim, and Major Magdi Ibrahim Abdelal Sharif. Now, you might be wondering why the Egyptian security forces would murder a PhD student who traveled to the country to study. Well, it all came down to this whole idea that Giulio might be a spy. We're going to focus on Major Sharif, the last of the suspects, because Major Sharif is the one who had actually ordered for Julio to be spied on. And Abdullah, the trade union leader that he was helping, is one of Major Sharif's spies, essentially. He was an informant. Right. And he'd been working as an informant for some time, which is kind of crazy to think about that he was literally the head of this trade union at the time. And these people that are in the trade union are the ones that are, like, trying to to find ways to get more rights and stuff. And their actual leader is the informant. Yeah, it's kind of a conflict of interest, to say the least. Yeah, and also just how crafty this guy must have been to get them to make him the leader when he's betraying them this entire time. Yeah, he's a wolf in sheep's clothing. Literally. Yeah. This guy, Abdullah, had been working as an informant for Major Sharif this entire time. And so when he was asked to spy on Julio, or to surveil him, I'm sorry, he did. And the surveillance had actually been going on for 40 days before the kidnapping happened. Hey, what's up, you guys? I'm Catherine. And I'm Haley. And we are Saturdays Are For The Ghouls, a podcast on the Podmoth Network. We cover all things spooky, like horror movies, true crime, the supernatural, and spooky stories. In the most chaotic way possible. So join your favorite ghoul friends every Saturday, wherever you listen to podcasts. And become a spooky babe! (laughs) So spooky babes, we'll see you in your nightmares! 
in addition to this whole betrayal by Abdullah, because literally Julia had been helping this man and he was gathering information to help torture him. That's messed up. Additionally, though, his roommate, who is a lawyer, let the security forces search their apartment. And their third roommate, who was a lady, would later claim that the lawyer thought that Julio might be a spy. Oh, damn. Yeah, so I, for some reason, I guess they thought since he was interested in politics that that meant spy. But literally, he's a, a college student. And he's, you know, he's an Italian co- college student who lives in England. He's been in Egypt before. Like, it, to me, it just doesn't make sense that he would be a spy. But Yeah, legit. Unbeknownst to Julio, his scholarly pursuits have looked very suspicious to those watching him. And after weeks of surveillance, the security forces allegedly arrested Julio at a metro station. For days, members of the National Security Agency tortured him for information about his supposed career as a spy. And Major Sharif was the main one involved in the torturing. The other three defendants allegedly were more involved in the arrest itself. And so they are charged with kidnapping. But Major Sharif is also charged with conspiracy to commit murder. Because of the fact that he was in charge of the torture part of it. At one point, Italian officials actually went so far as to reconstruct the crime to prove that their version of events is the one that was correct. The four accused men all denied kidnapping, torturing, and murdering Julio. Not that you are surprised by that. Not at all. As it turns out, the Egyptian government has actually been backing the accused. Also surprising no one. Yeah, and because of this... Italy has accused the Egyptian officials of obstructing the investigation into Giulio's murder. And Italian officials also believe that Egypt knows where they could find the suspects, but haven't helped pursue them. Like, they literally won't even tell the Italian officials where they could even find them. Yeah. It's, it's insane. In fact... Egypt actually pulled out of the investigation when Italian officials accused the security forces of murdering Giulio. And Egypt's prosecutor, Hamada al-Sawi, stated that insufficient evidence was the reason for this. But Giulio's supporters say that the Egyptians are just protecting their people and, by extension, their government. Since the government itself is in charge of the agency that literally murdered him. Yep. The official story pushed by the Egyptian government is very different. And this is what they say happened. They say that there was a gang of criminals that was targeting Europeans and that they're the ones who tortured and robbed Julio. And as you will be delighted to know, this gang is actually already dead. Oh, how convenient. Yes. Um, And the gang blamed for, for this whole situation actually did kind of exist and so let's talk about what happened to these people on march 24th 2016 egyptian police opened fire on a van in which five alleged gang members were riding one of the men in the van actually got out and almost got away like he tried to run from the van to safety but the police just shot him dead in the street after he was dead they, for some reason, put him back in the van. That's weird. Yeah, so nothing says we're not doing anything and staging it like 
dragging him back to the van and trying to say that he died there. I know, right? Yeah, there were witnesses to this. All five of the men were killed. And later, the police raided, and I put that in quotes, their apartment and found Julio's passport, student ID, and credit card. They claimed that this gang was targeting foreigners and Julio had just been an unlucky victim. Well, gosh, how convenient is all that? Yes. Now, fun fact, Italy did not believe this story. And so they went and investigated it anyway, just because, you know, you have to investigate all leads, right? Sure, yeah. And they found records, like indisputable proof, that the gang leader wasn't even in Cairo at the time of Julio's disappearance and murder. And that it, there was no way that Julio could, they couldn't, that these people could not be responsible based on the evidence that the Italians found. Yeah. And so, yeah, maybe they were a gang that was doing something, but it's just not possible for them to be in two places at once. Yep. And so that makes something else very clear because the police found Julio's items and these weren't like fakes. These were the real thing. In the, these men's apartment. So, if these men could not possibly have been at the scene to abduct Julio, then how could the documents be there if the government didn't have possession of that evidence? Yeah, they planted the evidence. Yeah, and so Italy points to this as proof, like indisputable proof, that the governmental agency is responsible for Julio's murder. Because otherwise they wouldn't have the items. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. Which is so messed up to have gotten this evidence from actually committing the crime. And then somehow they're still getting away with it. I know, right? And also, were these men even in a gang? Like, at first I I just believed that they were. And I was like, oh, okay, they they just killed this gang and blamed them. And then I started wondering, what if they weren't even a gang? What if they were just, like, protesters or, like... Mm -hmm. People who wanted a democracy or something. Yeah, just activists. Yeah, just activists. Or dissidents and then, of some kind. Exactly, yeah. some kind of dissident. Because they have been forcibly disappearing people in, like, droves. What if they were just dissidents and then they were murdered and blamed for this other murder? That's wild. Oh, yeah. That's totally bananas. And there's no way to know for sure because they're, like, the corruption is so deep that it's, like, at the top level. Like, they can just say whatever they want. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They make up their own facts. Now, none of this actually matters because the Egyptian government continues to push their version of the narrative and they're even continuing to protect the accused. As part of that protection, Egyptian officials just won't even give correct information about them to the Italians. However, Egypt has admitted that someone that Giulio was connected with in Cairo betrayed him and that security forces had been surveilling him. Well, at least that part sounds that at least that part sounds legit. Yeah, although I will point out is how is the security forces surveilling him and then he's randomly kidnapped by a, a gang and nobody noticed that? I know, right? They had no information about it. Yeah, when you have like seen that happen, if you were surveilling him, you would If hope you were so. surveilling him, I'm just yeah. throwing that out there. That would make sense. I just yeah. feel like there's a lot of holes here. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Italy went ahead and charged all four of the accused with aggravated kidnapping and then charged Major Sharif with conspiracy to commit murder. And they planned, they originally planned to try the men in Italy. But the Egyptian government would not extradite them to stand trial. So they would have to voluntarily come 
And I love that they were like, the men are not expected to travel for the trial. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. well, no, hun, because why would they do that? Yeah, I know, right? You just got to yeah. put out the warrants with Interpol and hope that they try to travel somewhere and get busted. Yeah, you could definitely try that. So Italy decided to push on. and They were like, we're just going to try an absentia then. So the men accused of killing Giulio were set to go on trial in Rome in absentia in October 2021. Giulio's mother, father, and sister traveled to Rome to attend this trial and represent him. However, a defense lawyer representing the men argued that the trial was essentially pointless since there was no proof that the men knew that they were being tried for the crime. And apparently, if you don't know that you're being tried for the crime, then I guess it doesn't count. Huh. Well, that's weird. Yeah. And so the prosecution was like, y'all are dumb. That was but in legal words. <laughs> they were like, y'all are dumb. This has been on everything. This has been on all the news in Egypt and in Italy. It's all over the internet. People are talking about it. It's an international incident. And also, the government freaking knows about it and knows where these guys are. There's literally no way they wouldn't know. Literally, if they just went onto the internet in Egypt, they would know that they were accused of this murder. Yeah, legit. So, how can you, how can you say they don't know? And then the defense countered with, well, there's no proof of that, though. So, it doesn't <laughs> matter. We're just going to continue saying that we didn't know about it. Like, fun fact. And Judge Antonella Capri heard this argument before the trial start, and she thought about it and decided that the defense made a good point. And so the court dealt a blow to Julio's family by delaying the trial. The next step after that was for the preliminary court to decide if they wanted to search for the men. And this went on for a while before they essentially decided not to do that. Yeah. After the court's decision, though, the lawyer representing Giulio's family, whose name is Alessandra Ballerini, spoke to Reuters, and she told reporters that the family will continue to pursue justice for Giulio and won't give up. However, the Italian courts did give up because they decided to stop pursuing the case this year, and it's unclear if Giulio will ever get justice. That's so sad. Yeah. And part of the reason why they stopped pursuing it is because initially this was an international incident between the two countries and Italy tried to stop being friends with Egypt. And they were like, we're not going to do stuff with you anymore. We're not going to trade with you. Screw you. You need to fix this or we're not going to be your friend anymore. And essentially Egypt just waited them out until they were like, hi, so we got these ships over here that are, we need to sell to somebody. And Egypt was like, oh, nice looking ships those are. Would you like to sell them to us? Wink, wink. And so Egypt ended up buying some warships. That was like the first deal. And of course, Julio's family was all mad because they're reporting on Egypt getting these warships. And they're like, I thought we were not friends with them anymore. Yeah, legit. And Italy essentially was like, what happened was, and they sold them the boats. They also had another arms deal right after this whole, we're not going to try these dudes. There was this huge arms deal between Italy and Egypt. That tracks. Yeah, totally tracks. So that is what happened, and I think that definitely was part of it, is that it was they were, like, outraged until it was no longer beneficial to be outraged anymore. Yeah, sounds about right. Which is unfair, because Julio's family lost him, and his friends, he had, like, a lot of friends. Because, one, he was a personable guy, 
and he helped people. And two, he had lived in so many different countries that, I mean, it might have just been the three, but still, he, like, he had a lot of friends. He had a lot of people that loved him and cared about him. And now they've all lost him over just ridiculousness. Yeah. He literally was just doing scholarly work. And, like, his school itself, like, his, his professors and stuff were defending him and, like, showing his stuff. Like, pretty much after he passed on, well, I shouldn't say passed on, after he was viciously murdered, like, his friends and, like, his professors and stuff were showing what he'd been writing like on Facebook, he was writing about his studies when he was texting people, he was texting people about studying and about things like that. Like he was not texting anybody about any kind of activities that could have been any way related to him being a spy. Yeah. Yeah. It was like all just normal. I'm a scholar type stuff. Like he literally was just scholarly and was murdered over dumb shit. And it's, it's crazy just to be that horrifically tortured. I mean, like, I feel like even just from the bare details that I gave, it sounds disgusting and horrific. Yeah. But to really think about what happened to this poor guy over that four days, and then the fact that he had no pants on, like, what happened to his pants? Like, when were the pants taken? You know? Yeah. And that's just, it's just difficult to think about someone going through that. And then also just being completely unrecognizable afterwards. Yeah. And then nothing is really done. And it's just all a waste. I know. I also feel like if he were a spy, Italy would have been way more invested in this. But maybe not, though. Maybe if if he were a spy, they'd be like, what? (laughs) Like, I guess, yay, y'all. I don't know. But clearly he wasn't, though. If he was a spy, I feel like he would have cracked way sooner. Yeah. I feel like I would have said all kinds of shit. Yeah, if I had been a spy, I would have sung like a yeah. like, like a bird. I got I, I. That's why we're not spies. There's a reason why we're not spies. Yeah, I, I cannot withstand torture. Yeah, don't I, put us in charge of shit. Yeah, definitely, definitely don't. I don't want to be involved in your spy stuff. Yeah, I'm, that's not for me. Situations like this are not exactly rare in Egypt right now, where political dissidents often disappear, and ironically, Julio has now become the face of the disappeared. And people honor him with graffiti and political posts about what's happening in Egypt. And while Giulio's murder led to widespread protests and conflict between Italy and Egypt, that did not stop Italy from selling Egypt those warships in 2020 that I already told you about. Additionally, the American University in Cairo, where Giulio was enrolled while in Egypt, now has the Giulio Regeni Memorial Fellowship, which it issues to a full-time graduate student who's studying the humanities or social sciences. And through these scholars, he will live on. Well, that's really nice. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, he literally wasn't even there for that long, and they were, they were like, this into him. Because he was just a good dude. Yeah, definitely. I feel I'm like good. most of our cases are just really awesome people being murdered for stupid reasons. That's true. It's like, are we not allowed to have nice things ever? Apparently not. Apparently I'm just going to be negative today. But this was a really sad case. And I needed to tell you about that lion so that you would be happy for a minute. (laughs) Although the lion probably murdered a lot of people. It probably did. Now that I'm thinking about it, what if it murdered dissidents? It probably did. Now now I'm feeling sad about the lion. Maybe I shouldn't pull at threads, what we've learned. Or maybe we should pull at all the threads. Anyway, this whole case bummed me out because I really want to go visit Egypt and 
now I feel scared. <laughs> now I feel afraid to go there. I want to go see the pyramids and I'm so scared. Anyway, my friend is from Egypt and I always wonder why his family, because he literally was born in Egypt and I wonder if like it's stuff like this is why they live here now. <laughs> Probably so. Yeah, maybe I so. Care. I don't know. But it just seems like Egypt is such a cool country. Maybe we'll get to visit. Maybe they'll stop disappearing people. That could happen. It's entirely possible. Yeah. Anyway, I hope that you found this case interesting if you're listening. And also, if you would like to listen to more interesting cases, go over to our Patreon at patreon.com backslash badaxpod. You get ad-free and early episodes now. Now that we have lots of ads, you can totally go over there and hang out with us. Also, there's bonus content at our lowest level, which is $1. Not only do you get the early ad-free episodes, but you also get a mini episode every month, which is pretty chill. Yep. And the mini episodes sometimes are full length on accident. So there's that. Then if, if you do the $5 level, you also get a mini episode and a bonus episode, which is like a full length one. And then at our top tier, which is $10, you, you also get a current events slash recent crimes rundown episode where we usually talk about three more recent cases that have been happening. And I'm sure you've noticed this from the podcast, but I try to pick ones that are really like out there. You know, sometimes we talk about ones that are like socially, like social justice too, but a lot of them are just the weirdest, most awful thing that I could have found that month. Not because I'm trying to do like, just be gross but i don't know my my whole like orientation towards some of this is like oh my god how could that possibly have happened and so that's kind of where i i go with that with those yeah so you know just maybe join us over there on patreon also you get a sticker eventually i'm about to mail out a bunch of stickers and we have like four stickers we have one that has my cat on it not my only cat i have six cats because i love cats but one of them is adorable, and he modeled for the sticker, which is way bigger than I thought it was going to be, and I apologize for that in advance. It's a pretty awesome sticker, though. It is pretty cute, but I thought it was going to be, like, I think what I meant to buy was, like, a 3x3 three three or a 2x2. Two two. I'm not sure. But I think I got accidentally got, like, the biggest one, like a 4x4 four four or something. It's a really big sticker. But anyway, you guys will probably like it. You can put it somewhere. It's got a cat on it. Sorry, dog people. Also, you can follow us on social media at BadXPod. You can email us at BadXPod at gmail.com. And finally, we have a website. Aaron, would you like to tell them about the website? Our website is BadXPod.com. Go check it out. You should totally check out the website. All right, we have reached the end. I'm excited, and we will see you very soon. Bye-bye. Bye.